Father, as we open your word, we pray that you would, by your spirit, uh, reveal to us who you are, what you're doing, uh, your grace, your love, your invitation to us and all the world. Uh, Please show us what you would have us uh, learn, know, receive, do. Uh, Speak to us today, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the series in, uh, in Colossians is called Rooted. That's based on uh, a particular verse uh, from that letter that talks about being rooted and built up in Christ. And the, the spirit of the letter is really focused on that because it's addressing a challenge that's been faced by all Christians from all times, really across all cultures, and that is the, the temptation to hear the message about Jesus but then also to take in some stuff from the world or culture around us and add that to our faith in Jesus. So you end up with a a Jesus and kind of belief system, Jesus and some of this or some of that or the other thing. And it's kind of like Paul saying, look, there'll be a million ideas swirling around in the world and you will be tempted not just to consider them with your mind, uh, but you'll be tempted to give a little bit of your allegiance to them. And... By definition, that's what an idol is. Something to which we give allegiance outside of Jesus. You know, ultimate allegiance I'm talking about. Uh, So Paul was writing this. It's a very interesting letter in in the sense of its context because Colossae had become something of a has-been city. Uh, Back in the ancient world, they moved a major north-south highway. It used to go through Colossae, but they moved it to go through Laodicea. So the image in my mind continues to be that uh, the Pixar movie Cars, you know, Radiator Springs, they moved the highway over here, and then suddenly the city went into de- decline. That's what Colossae was like. And so we have this letter. Uh, one commentator said this is uh, the, uh, the, the least important city to which an, a letter of the Apostle Paul's is addressed. So it's kind of a backwater, backwater place, but we have it because it's so important and so relevant for us today. Uh, So in the last passage we considered, we saw that Jesus is supreme over creation and that that his sacrifice on the cross is sufficient for our salvation. And the passage today kind of continues that theme as Paul introduces himself to the Colossians. So let's listen now to the scripture. The scripture reading this morning is from Colossians 1 verse 24 through chapter two, verse five. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. 
To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. This is the word of the Lord. Let's start uh, just with kind of putting the, the passage in, in context. And the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Colossian church uh, without ever having met any of them. I don't know if that's surprising to you. He didn't plant this church. Uh, a coworker named Epaphras planted it. So Paul had never been there in person. So what he's doing, part of what he's doing in this whole letter of Colossians is introducing himself to this church whom he had never met. Very interesting, right? Um, so he continues that in today's passage, uh, that, that introduction, uh, but he also weaves into that introduction some really important themes. Specifically, that the mystery of God, something that had been mysterious in the past, has now been fully revealed, and that Paul's work really is a continuation of the work of Christ in the world, and his work is to make the word of God fully known and help the people of God become fully mature. So in, in this passage, Paul's introducing himself, but we kind of have the what, the how, and the why of his ministry. And we can conclude then, that's something of a calling of all Christians because priests of all, of all believers were all invited into the family business of God, the mission of God in the world. Uh, but back, back in the Greco-Roman world, mystery religions were a big deal. There were these kind of religious groups of people that got together and um, it was only open to the initiates. You had to go through an initiation process. Kind of think secret society or something in our modern world. And these, these groups promised their adherents uh, some benefit. Um, that there was a, a mystery religion in the name of Bacchus, the old, the old uh, god of partying, basically. <laughs> and this, this, this mystery religion promised salvation from original sin through drinking parties. Interesting. <laughs> but this is how it kind of went. They, they promised stuff to people, and you had to kind of uh, do religious stuff to pry open the mystery, and then suddenly you would get something. Uh, salvation, special wisdom, knowledge, some kind of hidden truth that wasn't available to other people. So when Paul dives in and throws down that, that word in the, in the original language, uh, it's mysterion. Obviously, we get mystery from that. Everybody hearing that letter read in their local congregation would have said, oh, I know exactly what he's talking about. He's, he's talking about these mystery religions, um, and, and they would know that. So look at what Paul said in the course of introducing himself. I have become its servant, he's talking about the gospel now, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, 
the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. And then a little bit later, uh, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you can see how what he's writing in this letter is playing right into the hands of these mystery religions. Because people would have understood that. Like, hey, there, there are a lot of people seeking wisdom and knowledge through these secret religious societies. And basically, Paul is saying, hey, look, the truth of God or the fullness of God's truth was hidden for ages and ages. But now... This is a recurring phrase in Colossians, right? It came up in a previous message. But now, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. This mystery has been fully revealed, made known because Christmas happened, right? The word of God, namely Jesus, became flesh. He he has come to us. The the bigger uh, point here is that we don't have to keep on with all the religious stuff seeking to pry truth, wisdom, and knowledge, even salvation, from the hands of a distant deity of questionable character. God came to us. And it's way more than just what a pastor says on Sunday morning, what we pick up in a Sunday school class. Right? We are gathered here today because we believe this happened that God actually did this. It's not just a religious idea we can kind of take or leave, right? The claim is that something has happened in the world, that on Christmas, God really did come to us, that the resurrection actually happened, that Jesus is alive right now. The truth is a person, Jesus, and he has come to us because he loves us. Because he loves us. So Paul reminded the Colossians and us, hey, stick with Jesus alone. You don't need anything supplemental. And if ever some spiritual salesman comes along promising your life will be better with some products or services in addition to Jesus, don't buy it. It's Jesus alone. Don't don't worry with the the flurry of ideas swirling on around you. It's Jesus alone. The mystery of God is fully revealed in Jesus. And and Paul says his work is to present the word of God in its fullness or or to make the word of God fully known. This is the what and how of Paul's ministry. Remember, he's introducing himself to the Colossians, so he's kind of telling them what he's about and and how he does it. And he gets into that with something of a bombshell statement. I don't know if you picked that up as Pastor Dave read the text. Here it is again. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, don't just engage your mind, right? I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Now, wait a second. Didn't Paul just spend the last 15 verses explaining to us that what Jesus did was fully sufficient for us, that there's nothing at all lacking in what Jesus did for us? So what in the world is Paul talking about? That he's filling up in his flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. That doesn't make any sense. But notice a critical difference. Paul did not say what is still lacking in Christ's afflictions. He said what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Might seem like an important nuance, but 
uh, or might seem like a small nuance, but it is important and it does reflect the original language. Um, Paul's not saying here that anything is lacking in what Jesus did on the cross for the salvation of human beings. That's, that's fully sufficient for us. But the Lord has asked his followers to continue his work in the world. See, the only thing lacking in what Christ did is that now the whole world needs to hear about it. That's what's lacking. That's the work Paul took up. That's the work of the whole church. Said Jesus, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Now, it is not all roses when you try to tell people that they need God more than they know. And as we've all experienced, there's just a lot of opposition to this. Uh, That's why Paul can say that he rejoices in what he's suffering for the Colossians. Because that suffering comes when you actually try to advance the work. It's not easy. It's hard. It comes at a cost. I mean, other places Paul can make kind of similar statements. In Romans, he talks about suffering with Christ. You know, in Philippians, he speaks of sharing in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. This is joining God in his suffering for a world that has walked away from him, but so needs to come back to God's love and grace and salvation. Kind of ironic, right? You suffer to pursue people who don't really want what's there, but that's exactly what Jesus did for us, right? This is the commission God gave to Paul, to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Making God's word fully known is the what of our Christian calling. And that means telling others, not about all sorts of spiritual rabbit trails, but about Jesus and what he has done for us in the world. Or in Paul's words, he is the one we proclaim. Not religious ideas, just Jesus what God has done for us in Jesus. That's the what. Now, how did Paul do that? Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. You might think, well, this just happens through teaching. But there is a regular and much repeated theme in the Bible. And anyone who has tried to parent a child knows this full well. People grow not only through teaching, but also through correction. And we all need both. It's teaching and admonishing. So that's the how of Paul's ministry. The the word admonishing has a really interesting meaning. You know, when we say admonish, I don't know what comes into your mind, what kind of action or activity you might imagine when when that word is said aloud. Uh, Here's one take on it. N.T. Wright says the word refers to, quote, the setting of someone's mind into proper order with the implication that it has been in some way out of joint. So thinking that's been out of joint being set into proper order. Um, you know, it's really, it's really the word repent, the biblical word repent. We often think repent means stop doing stuff you know to be bad. That certainly is one aspect of it. And if we know we're doing something that's wrong, we ought to stop that. Right, that's not good for us. Uh, But it means much more than that. Repent actually means change your thinking. Scour your life for any little speck of thinking that is not aligned with Christ. 
that takes you away from the reality that this actually is a Christ-centered world, that there it actually is a God who loves people, who loves you, and not just you, but everybody. It's amazing, right? That word everyone is repeated three times in this passage, meaning all humans everywhere. Everyone needs to hear, be taught the gospel, and everyone needs to be corrected, admonished, coached along the way because we never get it all right the first time, right? And the wise person not only receives an admonishment from another brother or sister who's doing it in love and for our good, we request it. This is what wise people do. Hey, do you see anything in me that's a little bit off track? This is why we do this as community. It takes a village to follow Christ faithfully. So that's the what and the how. Uh, he is the one we proclaim. That's the what. We proclaim Jesus. How? Teaching and admonishing. Now the why. He's the one we, we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So that we may present everyone fully mature. There's the why. Everyone. In the original language, in, in the Greek, that, that word translated everyone is pantos anthropos. Obviously, um, anthropology, the study of human beings, right? Anthropos is humans, pantos, pan, all. Literally, all humans. All humans. The goal for Paul was to see everyone everywhere fully mature in Christ. And, and this didn't come up like in a strategic planning meeting with his missionary team going out around the world. Hey, like, what should we do? What should our goal be? Well, hey, let's, go, let's focus on discipleship and Christian maturity. No, this is the command Jesus gave us, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. In the Greek there, pantos, ethnos. We get ethnicity, ethnic from the word ethnos. Go and make disciples of everybody everywhere, all ethnicities. So I, I want all of us to be crystal clear that both what Jesus said and the mission that Paul pursued was focused, I mean, the target group in their thinking for God's grace and love and salvation in Christ was everyone everywhere. Not a single human being anywhere in the, in the darkest cave on planet Earth is left out of this vision. It's for everybody, and all are welcome, right? The Christian faith takes so many hits for being exclusive or, or kind of leaving people out or something. The, Jesus did not leave anybody out. Everybody is invited. Everybody is welcome. Now, that said, you got to acknowledge your need. You got to acknowledge that you're broken and, and in need of help. And when truth be told, that's the real issue. That's what's really going on. We're too proud to do that. That's the truth. So, really quick, if the goal is Christian maturity for all people, all people are welcome, we have to ask what does the word mature actually mean? Uh, it's just mean you're getting a little gray hair. 
Is that mature? Um, you know, what, what, what does that word actually mean in the Bible? One commentator suggests that to capture the full meaning of that word in the original language, which is teleos, our English word mature might not quite get it. He writes, perfect is too strong, mature too weak. Teleos connotes the quality of being wholehearted in one's devotion to the Lord, so wholehearted that, no, that one can be said to be blameless in conduct. So wholehearted in our devotion that we're blameless in our conduct. Eastern religions tend to talk about emptying ourselves of bad things. That's the goal. Buddhism, for example, uh, goal is to reach nirvana, which is a state of perfection where someone has successfully eliminated all greed and, and hatred and ignorance from themselves. And that's what ultimately brings salvation. And there are other kind of spiritual philosophies like that. Hey, you just need to get rid of the bad stuff. And most unfortunately, sometimes that cultural sideline idea creeps into our understanding of Christianity and we end up with a gospel of sin management, as some people have called it, with the understanding that what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus is that we're just supposed to try really, really hard to get the bad stuff out of our life, to manage our bad side, right? No. That's not the gospel. That's the exact kind of problem that Paul is addressing in Colossians. He said, you need to focus just on Jesus and the gospel, not Jesus and, hey, maybe I need to focus on eliminating the bad stuff. No. The, the gospel, the Christian faith, says that that emptying effort is both impossible and fruitless. Instead, we should pursue Jesus, meaning seek the Lord, pray, read and meditate on scripture. Think, think about things that are true and noble and right and pure. Go on being filled with the spirit. And it's in this filling, it's this coming into the presence of the Lord that the sanctifying happens. That's a fancy word for the less noble parts of our character being pushed out, overcome, maybe even healed. It's a lifelong project. And, by the way, Jesus has promised us a day when that struggle with sin will be no more. It's the future tense of salvation. That's why at a Christian funeral we say, may he or she rest in peace. That's not, you know, be at peace in this nice quiet cemetery. That's be at peace from the Christian lifelong struggle with sin. You've been, you've been now saved from the very presence of sin. It's gone. Oh, what a day that will be, right? So closing thought for today. Uh, everyone everywhere is invited to come home to God. The, this whole letter from Paul to the Colossians is unapologetically Christ-centered. He is the one we proclaim. It's all about Jesus, what he did, who he is, what he's doing now. He's alive right now. Where are you with him? And I'm not asking like, like how you're feeling today or even how you're feeling about your spiritual life today. I'm asking, where are you with God really? Like how, how are you? with the Lord.
you know, it occurred to me as we were kind of doing the confession uh, earlier on that nothing will mess with your walk with God more than willful sin. That's what the Bible calls doing something that's wrong and knowing that it's wrong in advance of doing it, not just coming to an understanding that it was wrong after you did it, but knowing it's wrong and doing it anyway. That, that's the biblical phrase, you know, willful sin is the biblical phrase for that. That's why in Psalm 19, King David can end that psalm with this great prayer, may willful sin not rule over me. Because it has a way, it like wants to claim the throne of our lives, right? It wants to rule over us. Well, in Christ, we're saved not just from the penalty of sin, but the promise is also that in this life, we can be rescued from the power of sin. Now, we all struggle, we'll all struggle our whole lives, right? But, but if you're stuck, you don't have to stay stuck. If you're stuck and it's feeling hopeless, it doesn't have to continue like that. Now, I'm not promising any kind of quick heal or something, but the Bible gives us some very practical steps to take. And one of those is confess your sin to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's tremendous power in just naming with a trusted person the willful sin with which you're struggling. Tremendous power. Uh, so we're happy to talk. Pastor Brian, Pastor Sam and I, happy to talk. Jana, Alang, Lindsay Lugo, staff people, happy to talk. We have male and female elders. Happy to, we welcome that. We invite that. A, a trusted person in your own life who's a believer. Willful sin will just mess with you. So, the point of this passage, mystery of God has been fully revealed. There's nothing secret out there that we've got, got to go in search of. The secret has come to us and said, I love you, I want you to come back to me. And his name is Jesus. The word of God has been fully revealed. There's nothing we need for salvation or a flourishing life that has been withheld. The word of God may be fully known. We have the scripture, we have one another. We can learn to listen to what the spirit is saying to us now with the the uh, help and community of those around us. And our goal is to become fully mature in Christ. And the verse we keep repeating throughout the letter, right? So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness expressed to us in Christ. And, and today, thank you for your patience with us. Even while we're wandering in the far country of willful sin, you are patient with us. And the scripture says that your patience is intended for our salvation. So thank you that even when we turn our back on you, you are faithful to us. Thank you that even when we feel completely unpresentable and dirty and ashamed, you continue to reach out in love like the father of the prodigal son. And when you catch just a glimpse of us, you run to us. 
So Lord, do that again today, would you? Uh, If there be any of us here who've just turned a little bit and like the prodigal son said, I should go home. Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would make that 100-yard dash toward that person. Thank you for the way you speak to us through your word. Thank you for your grace. And thank you for your peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.